Turn with me, if you will, to Luke 22. Luke 22 again. From now till Easter, we're going to be talking about Jesus' suffering and death as we go through this passion narrative uh, of Luke's gospel. Today we delve into the trial of Jesus. Now, now this can be confusing, for as we said last week, each of the gospel writers only uh, tells a little piece of the story of the trial. Let me try to simplify it a little bit and give you the big picture. There were actually what amounted to two trials of Jesus. There was one before the Jewish leaders, Annas and Caiaphas the high priest and the Sanhedrin or the Jewish council. And then there was a trial before the Roman leaders, Pilate and Herod. Each of those two trials had three parts. So the Jewish trial was made up of a a hearing uh, by Annas immediately after Jesus was arrested. And then a nighttime interrogation before Caiaphas and some other officials. And then a more formal official trial or hearing in the morning with the whole Sanhedrin. And that part is what we're looking at this morning. But then the Roman trial, which we'll get to next week, also had three parts. Jesus was brought to Pilate. Pilate interrogated him, found out he was from Galilee, and so he sent him off to Herod, who ruled over Galilee. Herod interrogated him. Herod didn't get anywhere, so he sent him back to Pilate, who interrogated him again and finally caved to the pressure to crucify him. Three parts of the Roman trial, just like there were three parts of the Jewish trial. Again, this morning, we're looking at the last part of the Jewish proceedings when they officially gathered in the morning to decide, to formally decide what really had been kind of informally decided during the night. Let me read it, verses 66 to 71. At daybreak, the council of elders of the people both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all ask, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you're right, in saying, I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. We live in a land of a pretty good legal system. Trials, though often slowed down by procedural matters, tend to be a fair and impartial application of the law. But in many parts of the world, justice is really hard to find. Legal proceedings are rather short on factual evidence. Social and religious prejudices taint the system, and those making judgments can often be bought off. So what kind of trial did Jesus get? Well, it was not one we would recognize as justice in this land. We would probably call it a kangaroo court, a mockery of a trial. The Lucan scholar Daryl Bach points out seven violations of the Jewish legal standards set forth in the Mishnah Sanhedrin. The proceedings take place at the high priest's home, not at the temple. Jesus was tried without any defense. Jesus was accused of blasphemy without actually blaspheming in the technical sense. 
The verdict came and the sentence came within the space of one day when two days were always required for a capital trial. Jesus was tried on a feast day. Contradictory testimony was supposed to to nullify the evidence. A pronouncement of guilt by the high priest was contrary to the normal order, which should start with the least senior members. And in addition to all those, uh, much of the trial, though informal, the decisive part of the trial, actually took place during the night, which was forbidden. But Jesus, and Luke as he reports these things, seemed pretty unconcerned about the poor procedure, the injustice of the, of the structure of this trial. What seems to be important is that we understand some things about Jesus, not that he gets a fair trial. So let me suggest two things about Jesus worth our attention that we learn from this text. The first is this. Jesus, God's Messiah, rules the world. Jesus, God's Messiah, rules the world. In our little text this morning, it basically consists of two questions which Jesus is asked and then his answers to each of those. So first, let's look at the first question. In verse 67, Jesus is asked, if you are the Christ, tell us. Now, I suspect all of you probably know by now that Christ is not Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. Christ is a title that's been given. Christ is from a Greek word in the New Testament. Messiah is the Hebrew equivalent from the Old Testament. And they both, Christ and Messiah, mean anointed one. That is, the descendant of King David, whom God has chosen and set apart as his promised king. So to ask if he was the Christ is to ask him if he is the Messiah, if he is the son of David that Israel had longed for for all the centuries, if he is God's chosen king who would come and deliver and rule over them. This was probably not really an honest, sincere question by the Jewish leaders. What they really were looking for was a charge that would make sense in the eyes of the Roman officials. They needed a charge that would make Jesus look like a political threat to Rome. And if he claimed to be the Messiah, well, that would be uh, a threat. Uh, We have no king, but Caesar will hear that as we go forward. But as Luke records, there had been many, many indications that Jesus was indeed the Christ. In Luke 2.11, the angel told the shepherds, Today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Luke 2.26, the Holy Spirit had revealed to the aged Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In Luke 3.15, the people wondered what, whether John the Baptist was the Christ, and he pointed him to Jesus. In Luke 4.41, Jesus would not allow the demons to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. In Luke 9.20, Peter made his famous confession, Jesus is the Christ of God. In Luke 20.41, Jesus asked the scribes how the Christ 
could be David's son, since David calls him Lord. Jesus is clearly, throughout the whole gospel, God's anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, whom he has installed now as king over the nations. So how does Jesus answer this first question? Are you the Christ? Tell us. Well, his answer has two parts. We find the first part in the end of chapter, uh, of verse 67 on to 68. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. First, Jesus refuses to answer. Because he says they wouldn't believe him anyway. And that certainly had been true throughout Jesus' ministry. They didn't believe him. If he tried to answer their questions, uh, uh, they didn't believe him. If he tried to ask them questions, they wouldn't answer him. Remember Jesus' question about whether uh, uh, the Messiah was David's son or David's Lord? They wouldn't answer him. They didn't have an answer. But there's a, so Jesus didn't answer this question. There's another reason why Jesus didn't answer here. We find out from other accounts, Matthew and Mark, that they had already asked him this question during the night. Mark records that earlier exchange like this. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. He'd already answered the question very clearly. This is not about a search for truth. They're playing with Jesus. But Jesus wasn't through with his answer. He went on, and there's a second part of his answer in verse 69. He said, but now on, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Now in this answer, Jesus gave them, the Jewish leaders, more than they bargained for. For this answer... Uh, is drawn from two Old Old Testament passages, two crucial passages that talk about the Messiah. The first one is uh, in Daniel 7, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He's making reference to Daniel 7, and there we read this. I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that is, God himself, and was led into his presence, And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of glory, Jesus said. But then he went on and made reference to Psalm 110, where It was written about David's son, the Messiah. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole world. Now by formulating Jesus, by formulating his answer about are you the Christ, in terms of these two messianic texts, He gives them a clearer answer than they had ever hoped for. He goes way beyond just saying, yes, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. Here Jesus says, in effect, I am the promised Son of Man to whom God will give sovereign authority to rule the whole world. I am the one who will sit at God's right hand judging judging the nations of the world. 
as Joe Bach notes, though Jesus is before this council as an arrested man, it is he who will sit at God's side. He, not the council, will be the judge. The Sanhedrin had hoped to get some statement which could be made political. But Jesus gave them an answer intended to challenge them. Jesus is God's Messiah, and he will rule and judge the whole world. When Jesus spoke these things that night, it was a future promise still. For us, it's a present reality. When Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, God made him both Lord and Christ. The Son of Man ascended to the Ancient of Days and was given all power and authority over everything and every title and every nation. He sits at the right hand of the Father from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. You see, you don't trick Jesus. You don't sit in judgment of Jesus. He is the judge. He will have the last word. For Jesus, God's Messiah, rules the whole world. Well, immediately in our text, Jesus has asked a second question. And that brings us to our second point, which is this. Jesus, God's Son, gave his life for us. Jesus, God's Son, gave his life for us. Did you ever start down some questionable path, perhaps never meaning actually to do something uh, very wrong, but you got carried away with it, it was easier than you thought, and suddenly you were deeply involved, you were obsessed with it, and as a result, uh, you, things went terribly wrong, you did things you never dreamed you would ever do. I think that's what may have happened to some of these Jewish leaders. They disliked Jesus because he upset their world, and their world was a pretty comfortable political arrangement with the Romans. So like politicians, they dreamed of some political strategy to get him out of their way, where they could catch him and get rid of him. I would like to believe that not all of them had murderous intentions from the beginning. So they make a deal with Judas to arrest him. They, they arrested him and started probing for some gotcha kind of statement that would get some traction when they took him to Pilate, where Pilate could get him off their hands. And then suddenly Jesus gave them more than they ever dreamed of. He not only admitted he was the Christ, the Messiah, uh, which for them was a rather, rather political concept, he went on to put himself at God's right hand as if he was God's equal. He exalted himself to claim to rule and judge the whole world. This was good, too good to be true. They had him. And so just to make sure, they follow up with a second question. We find it in verse 70. They all ask, are you then the son of God? They're, 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 they're astounded. They're asking in effect, are you really claiming this? Did you really mean to say this? Are you really the son of God? Now, throughout church history, many have had trouble with Jesus' answer. Jesus right, replied, you are right in saying, I am. Some have argued he didn't say he was. Jesus never claimed to be God. Such a claim is a myth which the church dreamed up. 
but not so fast. Clearly, these Jewish leaders thought he claimed to be the Son of God. They said, why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. They thought that's what he claimed. And according to John's account, when they got before Pilate, they said, he claimed to be the Son of God. That's how they understood his answer. So what did Jesus actually say? Literally, he said, you say that I am. That's a mildly affirmative answer. But more important, it's an answer that turns the tables on the questioner. For the word you is emphatic. Here Jesus' answer challenges their unbelief. While Jesus' answer was availed, yes, it also indicted those who asked the question. Jesus points out that those words, that he was the Son of God, were in their mouths. In other words, they're not ignorant of this. Leon Morris paraphrases it this way. That's your word, not mine. I would not have put it that like that. But since you have, I cannot deny it. So is Jesus the Son of God? Well, the truth is, God had repeatedly attested to Jesus' sonship. The angel told Mary he would be called the Son of the Most High. At his baptism, the Father spoke from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. Again on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, This is my Son. And now Jesus has affirmed it to his captors. Indeed, because of his claim, he was charged with blasphemy. But if Jesus is who he said, then they are the blasphemers, not he. They are the ones setting out to kill the author of life. They are then ridding themselves of the very one who could save them. Bach notes, Jesus' words lead to his conviction because the claim was too radical to believe and too dangerous to leave alone. But who Jesus really actually is, is just more than they could have imagined. He never made himself out to be another God. There is only one God. But then the concept of the Holy Trinity was not clearly understood by them. Yet he has been, and he is, and he will be the eternal Son of God. As the Nicene Creed says, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. 
He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Son of God. Oh, but the most impressive thing about Jesus' answer is that his testimony about himself was the only charge against him. They never presented any evidence which convicted him of anything. As one writer says, Luke boils down the test boils the testimony down to what really counts. Jesus' testimony about himself. The leadership cannot convict Jesus without the aid of the teacher himself. He chooses to go to the cross by his own words. Words that bring his death even though they are true. And that's what we need to grasp here. Jesus, God's Son, gave his life for us. That had been his claim from the beginning. That he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Philip Ryken ends his study with a poignant statement. Let me just conclude with a quote from him. If only these men had answered their own question in a different way, they could have been saved. They ask, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Well, what further testimony do we need? We have heard the words of Jesus himself. He claims to be the Savior whom God always promised to send. The divine judge who will come in glory on the final judgment. The one and only Son of the everlasting Father. With his own lips, Jesus the Christ says, he is both Son of God and Son of Man. What further testimony does anyone need? Believe the testimony he's given and you will find salvation in the Son of God and the Son of Man, Jesus, Messiah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a strange event we've read about here. That you, Lord Jesus, the one who was active in the creation of the world, the one who came to save us, should sit and be judged by evil men and put up no defense, but only condemn yourself by the truth of who you are. Father, may we not be so blind and ignorant as to miss what happened here. That it's not about the trial. It's all about you and who you are. And what that means to us in response. Give us a heart to believe, a heart to obey, 
to walk in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.